Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Nintendo has had a remarkable run with the Switch and its DS consoles. But where does it go from here? I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. With me to share his insights from a recent interview with former Nintendo executive Reggie Filme is our resident gaming expert, Scott Stein. Welcome, Scott. Hey, thank you. So for our listeners who aren't steeped in the gaming world, can you just tell me who, who Reggie is and, and why he is such a big and, and some arguably revered figure in the gaming world? Yeah, so... Uh... Reggie was the uh, the head of Nintendo of America, and he actually overlapped during the time that I was in tech. He started around the right before the launch of the Nintendo DS, and he left uh, a little a couple of years into the launch of the Switch. And so, you know, he spanned this whole comeback period for Nintendo, like the whole Wii era and the DS era were him, and his 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 personality was definitely what made him you know, an identity because he definitely had that kind of fighting spirit. I think that was like the throwback Nintendo versus Sega energy. Um, but but also like, he's just a great person. And and he, he published a book recently that's about uh, business and looking back at Nintendo. Um, so th- that was a lot of the reason for speaking to him now. That's uh, fascinating. I'm sure the conversation was great. And I'm curious, I mean, before we kind of get into his thoughts on Nintendo in the gaming world. What has he been doing since he left Nintendo? And I think most of that period stretched the pandemic. So I'm really curious what his life was like during these weird, weird last two years. Yeah, well, one thing he said was he wrote the book during the pandemic. So Well, there you, you go. Know. So, all right. So he's yeah. pretty productive. He's yeah, pretty productive. exactly. So, like, I wish I wish I had been as uh, writing productive as that. But he, he worked on that. But he also has been... In, where I've interviewed him a bunch in the past... But where I've run into him right before the pandemic was at the New York Game Critics Circle Awards. Um, the, the Game Critics Group is a group that was put together by Harold Goldberg, who's a journalist. It's it's a group of people that are uh, games journalists around the industry, but they do a lot of uh, nonprofit work. And he has been involved in um, helping mentor students in the Bronx um, oh. on game design, and part of like a, a place called the Dream Yard. And he's been doing um, things like that and I think serving on boards. But he, he came from the Bronx, so it's kind of like a return for him. It's, it's, it's a cool story. So that's a lot of what he's been doing, I think. Well, that, that's awesome to hear. Um, well, going Switching gears back to, well, the Switch, which obviously has been a massive hit for the company. I'm curious what he's, what he's said about the console and where he thinks it's going next. Yeah, it's super interesting because he was so involved in it, and the book gets into details. Although the book uh, "Disrupting the Game" is also, you know, as, as a business book, so a lot of it is about his his life and marketing. Um, but it gets into some of these these subchapters. I mean, he he gets into something that I had thought about when I reviewed the Wii U way back. That it was like he called it failing forward. That the Wii U was like the Switch prototype in a lot of ways. You know, like that second screen, it had all the ideas, but it didn't have the tech to to make it happen um, like like a total standalone. But 
you know, what interests me about the switch is also the life cycle of it. And he was talking about like in the book, he mentioned seven years as kind of this, um, this period between what he calls disruptive phases of, um, of, of, you know, kind of console technology and, and the switch is five years old now. So I wanted to hear his thoughts on, are we due for that? Or is that kind of console life cycle different now? And he, he said, he, he pointed to comments from Nintendo recently. One was that the switch is halfway through its life cycle. And he said by that regard, and they may be trying to stretch it. And the metaphor there might be more like the, I mean, their handhelds, like the Game Boys and, and the DS, uh, they went longer because they had a lot of like iterations on those. They right. Kept, you know, right. And the switches started doing that, so that that might be the way it happens. At the same time, he he points out that there there is already talk about something, some successor to the switch. What I thought was interesting too is that he pointed out how hard it is to follow up a hit with a hit, and he was saying that in the history of game consoles, he he thought PlayStation and PlayStation Two. And, you know, Game Boy to DS well, on his watch were the two big hit follow hits. But he, he just said it's a big challenge, which he admitted, like, it's not it's not a gimme that like like the Wii to the Wii U was not a slam yep. dunk. Yep. So it's an interesting thought. I'm, I'm curious. What did he share any thoughts about the Wii U, given that it was, you know, relatively speaking, a failure? He definitely, in the book and in, in, you know, in talking to him, definitely, you know, kind of called it failing forward. And, but, but in an interesting way, he also pointed out, I think, you know, not just to, to justify it, but that, 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 that can lead to good things in business. He was saying that, like, he doesn't think the switch could have existed and succeeded without that one experimenting. Um, but, but he also pointed out a couple of things that it was missing. Like, he, he, he definitely acknowledged that Nintendo Land was never Wii Sports. Like it was never the big thing that they needed and that they thought it would be. Even though I, I actually, over time, my family started playing it. They really liked Nintendo Land, but it was definitely not Wii Sports. And and then he said the other thing was third-party developers, that they really whiffed on that. That that, that the He said the Wii U was late in developing titles. They were, they were slow to get going from the first party. And they didn't have the third party to close the gap. But then that they they fixed that on the switch. They really made it uh, easy to develop for, and so he credits that for the the way that the switch really became an indie gaming destination. Got it. And uh, going back to switch, I'm, I'm curious if there are any other interesting tidbits he shared about that console, this the the current console that a lot of us are still playing on. You know, in a way, the switch in the book is like really towards the end. So I kind of wanted more on that. But yeah, I, I just I think he like. I, th- I think what's interesting to me is is like, you know how how they had this sort of secret development system and and all of that, but but also like how much they, I don't know, it, it, they made it sound like they they kind of like just had a hit on their hands and then saw it through. You know, I think that it was it was a little less of a surprising story um, compared to like the DS, where I feel like. I remember the the DS like I when I first looked at the Nintendo DS I thought it was bizarre and I'm used to weird Nintendo and I did not think it would succeed um but but he did say one thing about the Switch with um with Labo because I wanted to ask him about Nintendo Labo I still feel like that's kind of like a random bit of of genius that they made but he right. he really sounded disappointed like because he didn't talk about it much in the book 
But he said like he was he was like I thought that was going to be a home run. He really I think he really thought that that was the moment for like STEM to do that oh, yeah. stuff. Yep. Um and and I was bringing up that like it would have been probably a great product during the pandemic like if it had debuted then everyone's stuck at home. Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, you're so, right. He said but he actually once again he kind of said like um he made this 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 uh you know reference to the, that the company that those experiments don't tend to don't tend to disappear. You know, that like things like that or even, you know, other weirder accessories like the Wii Vitality sensor, sometimes the stuff they research on that stuff shows up in other ways. So, yeah, I, I feel like um, I, I feel like it might resurface in some way. It was an experiment in like modular tech for the Switch. Right, right. With a kind of origami spin to it. Uh so, Garros broadening things out because uh, obviously, you know, he's he's been in the game industry for a long time. You know, what what does he think about some of the the latest wave of portable gaming systems like like the Steam Deck, which the Switch essentially is right, and kind of made this idea popular. But you know, now you've got Steam Deck, you've got Qualcomm's got a reference device. Like it seems like there are more on the way. Yeah, he. Um... You know, I definitely wanted to ask him about that, and he was intrigued by the Steam Deck. You know, he—he, he, I think he thought the idea was great, but he—he he called it a bit overpriced. But, but the idea of the PC quality games, he was like, "Sign me up for it." And I think that's interesting too. I mean, he's not with Nintendo anymore, but I feel like, you know, I think the Steam Deck kind of one-ups the Switch in that it shows how much more the Switch could be doing with with playing a wider variety of games and also streaming games. Because he went into game streaming a lot as well. We could talk about that too in a sec. Um, so he sounded positive about that, but then I also uh, you know, mentioned the um, Panic Playdate and, um, and that one which I reviewed, which is this little novelty device made by a company called Panic that did Untitled Goose Game. He, he he definitely sounded confused by it. You know, he said it's it's. He said I struggle with that. It's the design choice and the crank and the visual presentation. Right. right. I think which is funny because Nintendo has done tons of weird things, but I think he didn't like that it was a closed off platform that you had to justify in and of itself, as opposed to like a one off game. So yeah, that was interesting. Well, you brought up uh, cloud gaming and streaming games, and obviously you've got Xbox Game Pass, uh, which you know just announced that it'll be available on Samsung TVs. Uh, you've got Luna, Sadia. I'm, I'm curious what he thought about cloud gaming because he said he was he was pretty high on this idea, right? Yeah, and um, and I also want to ask if that affects kind of the future of the console because you know like a lot of people talk with Dan Ackerman for years about this about you know does this mean it's the end of the console or not. And he definitely was like saying that's the dominant form of the industry he sees in the future, where you don't need a dedicated console. But he also pointed out that like home networking is still not, in his opinion, there yet. Like he, it was interesting how he pointed out like that it's not just internet speed, it's Wi-Fi speed. Like his home internet speed is great, but the Wi-Fi is laggy. And like if you want to really game the way that like you you know you want everything perfect, then like you could notice that. So he he was saying like maybe it's maybe even innovations in home networking being a tiny bit better, which which was intriguing. But he 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 sees it being kind of a a non console thing. And then you know recent developments with with all of the industry players moving towards streaming subscription packages, stuff that can be played on phones. It does feel like something like that is currently 
happening industry-wide more than it had before. And I don't know how much that'll affect like what, we said this with the, with the existing consoles, but I feel like at some point it really may affect how the consoles look. Right, right. And lastly, I know you talked to him about diversity and inclusion in games. Now that's obviously been a topic of heated debate in the gaming world. What did he say about that? Yeah, I mean, he just said candidly, the industry is 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 not acting in the way that it should for for like getting towards having hiring practices. Uh, he said promotion practices, having a broad, diverse group of employees. He gets into that in his book. He talks about growing up in the Bronx and his identity in the games industry um, being something that he continually thought about. And it's a very big factor for him. He always felt also like diversity, um, you know, have, it's, is, is key to having any sort of uh, new ideas that bounce off people and, and kind of feed the ideas in the system. So, you know, he, he really, you know, is waiting for that. And um, he knows that like, the, I think he, like many people, feels like the moment is now. But um, but I think it's also interesting because then he, he kind of connected that to diversity in content creation, which um, like I'm, I definitely get bored by re- repetition in game genres. But he was right. <laughs> he was saying like I liked his comment on mark my words there are going to be a ton of Elden Ring clones, which <laughs> like I totally think is going to happen. Um, oh yeah, yeah, it's, that's obvious. Like, but d- in, despite. Eldering being great, but he just feels like, again, um, needing to have new ideas. He had an interesting kind of spinoff, which is that he feels pretty confident with all the um, all the recent, um, you know, fusions and acquisitions of game studios, um, which sounds like less diversity. He thinks it's going to lead to a new rise of, of like double like like a level indie companies, like people who jump off those groups, get frustrated, and then forge new studios with interesting ideas, which I, I could see that. Like, I mean, I, they'd have to be funded, but like, you know, yeah, anytime you have like these big monstrosities of, of game studios um, eating up everything, you'd expect that there'd be a chance for people to spin off stuff right. on their own. But they do seem interconnected in his mind and, and it makes sense. Totally. Well, Scott, thanks for your time and for you know sharing some of the, the juicier tidbits from your interview. Uh, you can check out his full story and interview on Cena.com. If you have any questions, ping me on Twitter at RogerWCHA. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening. <laughs>